welcome to These Lads on Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalise mental health. But before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These lads are mental recognizes the Gadigal people of the Aurora nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders past and present and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. So on today's show, we have Cecile Caminades. She's a host of her own podcast called Asking for a Mate. This podcast takes a deep dive into the mental health of Australian males. The show itself has been running now for a number of years. Her show is a really interesting angle because she talks about everything from masculinity to opening up the differences between Aussie males and Europeans and cultural backgrounds and legacy. So we're really excited to chat to her about how our podcast is going and where we are in terms of mental health with Aussie males. Let's dive in. How are you going? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I made a side about the baby side sleeper last night. You made one. Yeah, well, like we obviously bought one and then putting it together. Oh yeah, okay, sweet. I think we had some from scratch. Bit of a nightmare. Nail <laughs> from scratch. Have we seen these hands? You <laughs> a new Buchanan felt attack. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I obviously like ten years ago I couldn't change a light bulb and with Nimbus. I've just had to like throw myself in the deep end. And my dad's a sparky. My dad, my brother works in construction and I'm the most non, like, you know, handyman ever. But, you know, you just have to get into it, right? And after a while, you start getting used to it. And then like last night, putting that thing together last night was an absolute disaster. But I couldn't have done that like five years ago. I genuinely would have given up. I would have put it on air tasker and I'd be done with it. Like, See, once you do like, five or six projects, you realise all the skills start to intertwine. Obviously not massive ones like you're fucking rewiring a house, but if you start to use certain tools a amount of times and you fix certain things, you go, fuck, oh, that's a bit of chip rock. I'll just use a bit of plaster on here. I'll just buy that same stuff I bought the last time. It's never going to be perfect. If it was perfect, you'd pay someone to do it. But yeah. for a lot of the jobs, you can do yourself pretty straightforward. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you just back yourself and then you start getting into it and like uh, painting and I was I've silicone showers up in Nimbus now and then I did acrylic painting on the shower base while we were locked down and like yeah <laughs> sorted handy 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 you're handy you're dad now mate you, you, you need to be doing it you're the dad yeah no I have no choice it's probably a good thing because if I was back home in Ireland my dad is like the the ultimate handyman so he would just he did everything in our house so if I was living back in Dublin, I'd just be, I'd be ringing them every two minutes going, oh, I need to do that, fix that window for me, I'm going to give you a... Whereas when you're on your own, like you kind of, you're forced to, you've got no choice. Like I, My dad was one of those guys who does fucking everything, man. Hmm. The only thing he, he was scared, he could do, his sparky work is the only thing he didn't want to do because he was scared in case he fucked it and obviously killed himself. Yeah. But I could fucking lay, play carpets, paint, obviously paint fairly well, fucking fix things, build things. Like build fences, fucking paving, brickwork, sca- scaffolding, just like fucking, mm. like not amazing at any one particular thing, but he could do it any job. Ah, I could do that. Aye. Yeah. My dad used to always get, he, speaking of what you just said there about the sparky stuff, 
you'd always get people ringing them and like, you know even people in the local area community and they'd be like oh eddie i've got a job in my house like i'm looking through you wiring it and they'd ask him like a hundred questions and he's like look i'll do you a good deal like you know mates rates or whatever and they'd be like oh yeah cool but then they just they, he said they'd ask him like 50 questions and then they'd go away and obviously they'd just try and do it themselves and then he said it would just be like clockwork you give it about two or three months then you get a panic phone call one day going like the whole house is out like you know da, da, da. and then he just got out and then he'd have to and it would be a bigger job in the first place than the first place you know so cecile caminata is cool last name i like it oh hang on comes up the door here ah look guys it wouldn't be an episode without uh what's that? What that no bed shreds oh mate you need to there's a couple bed, of bed threads. Yeah, bed threads. Are you saying threads as in TH or threads as in a person? No, th- threads. Yeah, like <laughs> T TH. Just basically bed sheets. The Achilles heel, if you will, for an Irishman. Yeah, there, there's a few businesses now. There's bed threads, there's in bed, and there's this sheet society. So, what do they do? They just sell bed sheets, basically. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, bed sheets, but they're kind of like bed sheets done well and done cool. And how cool can it be done? Let's be honest. I'm just gonna know. And I just got to a sky blue set for our king bed from the Sheet Society, and I don't know, it was like a, a form of cotton. And honest to God, when I got into bed, I just like falling asleep on a cloud. It was so nice. It makes a big difference getting nice sheets. Oh, a nice, a nice bed, the nice sheets is probably the best investment you can make, man. In fairness, Sue's dad got us, when we fell pregnant, he was like, you need to have a big bed. So he got us a big king bed and like king beds, just a game changer. To be able to like turn over and pull your arm out like that and not hit anyone. Cecile, how are you? How are you doing? I'm great. Good and you? Yeah, I'm good. Bonjour, ça va? Ça va très bien, my little bit of French from high school. That's all I had, three years of French in high school. So what can you say, Gary? Je m'appelle Gary. Um, j'habite à Glasgow. J'adore au foot. <laughs> Deux frères n'est pas dessert. <laughs> Do you still live in Glasgow? No, no, I live in Sydney. Okay, <laughs> so now you need you to know to say, I live in Sydney. I know, I know. I should probably, I probably should adjust it that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that was me trans, trans going back to my, my high school days. In high school, I was in Glasgow. So that's basically programmed into me, Shabita Glasgow. And you're 15. I'm <laughs> 15, I. There's a, there's a video of, I think it's, you know, Harry from One Direction, who's now like the coolest thing ever for like teenagers. He was in some interview recently. I, saw, I heard him talk about French and they said that. They're like, oh, did you study French? He's like, yeah, I studied it in school. And they're like, how did you do? And he goes, oh, I was terrible. But I, I learned this one sequence of French that makes me sound like I'm really French. And he literally regurgitated this, like, if you didn't know, you'd swear he was completely fluent. He was like, and it was like, it was some random sentence, like, my name is, you know, Harry. I love going to the swimming pool with my friends who are very close to me. And I love... La piscine. La Brilliant. That was, I was 13 when I learned that one. I remember that. Everybody remembers La Piscine. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? La Piscine, Bibliothèque, Jus d'Orange. There's like, I, I get them all the time. La Venetra. That was a, that's a window, isn't it? Is that a window? Venetra. Which one? Venetra. Venetra. How do you say window? Oh, Fenetra. Fenetra. 
Je voudrais, it just sounds so nice, and say, I would like, je voudrais aller à la piscine. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's finally open again. I know. I know. God, I have to. I, well, I actually was trying to learn how to swim last, well, when COVID hit, and I did a few lessons, and then, yeah, that got scuppered. Mm. You should definitely do that again. I found a great swimming teacher, if you want. Oh really? Yeah, I've actually I've a, I've a well I always have a story as Gary will tell you, but I have a swimming story because I've learned to, I've tried to learn to swim for many many years. It actually, I tried to learn when I was a kid in Ireland, but then I got bullied and then I stopped going and then I just that was it. I just didn't ever learn. And I love swimming. Like I don't have it's not a fear thing or anything for me. But then I tried to learn the first time when I came to Australia, and then this Italian guy came to one lesson. I paid him up front and then he never came back again <laughs> god's honest truth and then anyway, the first time he gave me an invoice which had his abn number so then i contacted fair work they ended up ringing him and then he gave me my money back he said that like he was in a car crash and his parents died and, you know all this kind of stuff oh and then and then the second time i I, I did learn, but then my, my teacher went, she follows the swim seasons around the world. So she left just as I was getting good. And then the last time I went, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do it again. Went to public lessons in the ABC pool and then COVID hit. So I was like, fucking hell, I just want to learn how to swim. Hopefully this time. Definitely, you should. Highly recommended. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, you can't really live in Australia and not be a good swimmer, right? Mm, that's so bad. I learned how to duck under a wave uh when i was 29 i was gonna say like i can jump like if i'm in the sea i can tread water like i'm not you know that bad it's just more like you know when you see some people in bondi they wake up and they do like one end of this pier to the other you know and you're just like oh god to be able to just do that without fear would be a real bucket list it does my i mean sometimes i'm at kuji and i'm i mean i'm fairly fit and i swim for maybe 100 meters and i'm blowing out my ass and I'm like, I'm not fucking this unfit. And then I see this 75-year-old man just cruising past me, just <laughs> winking at me as if easy. And I'm like, how the fuck are you doing that? I'm like, I need to get better at swimming, man. But then the same thing, I never do it. The breathing, the breathing is the is the real trick, right? Because it's like you're it's the opposite of how we normally breathe. Now, inch in the mail, you've got to go like this, then a little bit of water gets in. It's like, oh no, panic stations. <laughs> That's the funny thing is I used to be absolutely panicked when I was beyond the the waves. Like I was panicked about waves. I was really, really scared about sharks and, and big fish in the ocean. And then I went from that to last weekend I did Bondi to Bronte. Oh, nice. Swimming. So, you know, there is definitely like, you, you can actually pick it up. I do say to everyone that is so scared of the ocean thing, like you can definitely do it. So Neil, you can definitely do it. And I can tell you like in... A few months, you can be doing the way with us if you wanted to. How many how many lessons did it take you, Cecile, to be good at it? Good enough to do Bondi? Uh, that's a good question because I was in a pool and I was doing it for quite a few months. And and I think, it's, to be fair, I think it was more mental. It was the, the fear, not necessarily the, the physical elements of swimming that really did the trick. But maybe like probably with like, I think probably my teacher would say like six lessons would get you there obviously depending on your fitness and your level of 
but you can really pick it up super quickly. Mm. Yeah, sex license is nothing. And depend, I think it depends on your teacher as well. Like when I did the ABC one, which was in a group, I remember we had this lovely instructor, you know, he was a big, he used to call himself the big hairy queen. And after like, everyone was at different levels. And, you know, what he did brilliantly was he, on the first lesson, he was like, okay, Neil, you go swim or do this. And you do it. And he goes, that was really nice, but uh, let's never talk about what you just did there again. <laughs> and he just like, <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he just took the sting out oh, of I'll it. Like that. I'll just, like that. Yeah, he took the sting out of it straight away. And everyone's just laughing. And he did that for everyone. So everyone that went, <laughs> no matter how good or bad you were, he was like, yeah, don't do your feet like that. Like, you know, and, and then everyone was just amazing. Like all that kind of stigma was just gone. And I was like, wow, that was such a cool way to, to teach. Oh, so quickly, sorry, before we start the actual podcast, are you on uh, your mobile phone? Every week, someone knocks on my door, the dog annoys me, and I forget to put on 5G. Hi. So welcome, Cecile, to These Lads Are Mental. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. I think that's the first time I've ever done a welcome like that before. I would never do a welcome. We always just do it at the start. <laughs> yeah, we, always go, we always go straight in. But tell, tell us about yourself, Cecile. You obviously have a, a lovely person and surname. Gary and I were actually just talking about that before you got on. So tell us about you. There's obviously a bit of a, a foreign twang there. Can you explain where you're from and what your story is? Of course. Uh, so my foreign twang comes from France. I've been living in Australia for 10 years, though. So apparently my Aussie is becoming better and better, which is making my Aussie fiance very sad because I've lost apparently my very strong French accent that I used to have many years ago. Um, now I'm, I moved to Australia when I was 22, uh, fresh of uni, and then just decided that instead of saying six months, I was going to stay a bit longer. So I told my mom, I, like I left my cat with her being like, I'll be back in six months. And then six months turned into a year that turned into 18 months that turned into 10, 10 years. So yeah, so that's me. Apart from that, um, I finished my studies in Australia and then I decided to start doing media and advertising and then decided to launch my own business because I thought it was going to be fun and I was going to be able to be a digital nomad and then COVID hit. So that was kind of like the premise of my business was to be able to work from anywhere and then couldn't and then got stuck at home for many, many months like a lot of people. And maybe like on the on the part of the link with the podcast uh, that probably we're going to be talking about, I launched a podcast, I think it was two and a half years ago, that is called Asking for a Mate. And I'm sure that you've got many questions for me about that. So I'll just let you ask the question. <laughs> we do, we do. When I was actually yeah, looking through all your previous episodes, yeah, I was, it was going right back a good few years. This isn't like a recent thing. You've been doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think probably two and a bit years, maybe two and a half years. Which month are we? I think October. Yeah, October. So yeah, two and a half years. Wow, that's fantastic. Because Gary and I are often joking that if we can get past six months, I think we're and people are still listening. We're doing a pretty good job. This is episode. Gary's better at this. Yeah, I guess it's nine. Nine, is it? So good. so good. I someone like someone sent me a tweet the other day saying that if you have more than twenty-one episodes on your podcast you're part of the nine, the one percent of podcasts in the world because most of podcasts don't go past the 21 episode, 21st episode. Oh, Let's wow. do 12 this weekend, sorry, and all 12 this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Actually, get the top one percent. 
That's amazing. Well, most of our episodes are an hour. So if it was, that's, yeah, 21 hours of amazing content. Yeah. Yeah. The world. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Being a bit like Gandhi okay. now. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> Gandhi's podcast is good to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're, you mentioned your French. Are you from Paris? Is that what you're reading? Je suis de Paris. Oui. Oui, oui, oui. C'est très bien. Oui, oui, oui. <laughs> Harry and I both learn exactly. it. Both know about four lines, I think, cumulatively uh, from our days in high school back home. And watching Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are like fan of uh, Cantona, aren't you? Eric Cantona. Oh, uh, Eric. The oh, football player. He's a legend. Oh, yeah. Au revoir. And then the product. Yeah, well, you've obviously listened to some of our episodes because uh, we have... Uh, maybe. <laughs> the French magician uh, in a previous episode. Oh, I mean, he was just a cult hero. Like, everybody loved Cantona. He was just coolness personified and how he played, how he looked, how he spoke, how he dealt with the media. And then he retired at the age of, what, 29 or something, was it, Gary, I think? I was young, yeah. But, yeah. but what was the... Uh, remember the, the commercial, the Thierry Henry? When he used to say at the end of it, he go, hey, Bobby, what is French for va-va-voom? And that came out. And then for the next three years in my French class, every single class lesson, someone just put their hand up and go, miss, miss, yes, what's French for va-va-voom? <laughs> every single class, every lesson. Next day, same thing. Miss, miss, yes, what's French for va And she just one day lost the plot. She was Belgian. And one day she just lost the plot. There is no French for va-va-voom. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> What's the answer? Uh, she was going mental. Now stop asking this stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for ages. Yeah, right? it's so long, I so long. It's still a thing, like yeah. And then I was in a car ad as well. It was like, oh, I and, and but he he was really one of those real. I wouldn't say first. There were other icons down through the years of football, but he really took it to like a whole another level. What a guy making movies, and he's still he's still ever cool. I've seen some stuff in him, and he everything he does is always like oh, you're just so tuned into it. Like you know, whether it's a, a book or a show or a doco, anything that he's in, he's he's usually amazing. Well, great. That's and so you've been to Australia for almost ten years. And tell us about we're going to dive into the podcast soon. But like before you got into the podcast, like did you have your own mental health story, or was there anyone in your family, whether in France or in Australia? Was there any kind of other reason that got you involved in the topic? It wasn't exactly because of something that had happened to me at a personal level. The reason why I got into mental health for men was more from having noticed different behaviors in men when I started kind of opening my eyes to this having lived in Australia for quite a few years and that's kind of what got me into that space more so than my own mental health journey or something happening to for example let's just say my dad or I don't have a brother but something like this so yeah it was more just my personal experience with Aussie men that got me to ask a ton of questions and then I wanted to create a podcast. How did it, the podcast come around then? So obviously you thought you've noticed these behaviours what made you think right okay I'm starting a podcast? Like what happened is that I, when I arrived in Australia, I obviously I wanted to like the cliche, meet some surfers, you know, barefooted men, et cetera, et cetera. And then unfortunately I ended up, I mean, unfortunately it's a bit for that, but I ended up meeting a guy that I didn't know, but had done the same uni as me back in Paris. And we started dating and then stayed for a very long time together. 
So what happened is that I basically never dated any Aussie guys. And so after we broke up, I ended up being thrown into the Sydney scene of dating, which I was very, very, very scared about and met like a few British Aussie guys. And when we started dating and I started like asking him questions, I just got quite shocked at like how on deep I was able to go with them being like, they would really kind of like freeze when I would be asking a bit like deep question. And I don't really like open up with like, you know, <laughs> tell me about your mental health or something like this. But you do, I would just see that naturally it wasn't really something that they would be comfortable with. And it got me to ask questions to my mates, Aussie girlfriends, Aussie friends, like male friends. And then they would like the answer I just got again and again was just, oh, they're just Aussie blokes. I'm like, well, hang on, what does it mean? It's just Aussie blokes, it doesn't work like that. And the more I delved into that topic, the more I realized that it was a, probably a, a societal norm that we had in Australia around the fact that blokes don't talk. And, and then something connected with me that triggered the podcast was the fact that I remembered the stat around suicidal rates for young men in Australia and the fact that it's the biggest killer still nowadays. And, and funny enough is that when I moved to Australia, the first thing I told myself is, wow, everyone is so bloody happy in this country. They've got everything like, you know, everyone is actually making quite a good earning compared to what you would be doing in France uh, with the people around my, my age. You know, you've got amazing weather, amazing nature. And then with all of this, you still have a huge amount of suicide for young men. So I try to really ask myself a lot of questions around that. And then led to my own interpretation of the fact that societal norms in Australia around masculinity could be the leading, like could be the cause of this kind of mental health issues that we've got for young men. And then I was like, okay, I really want to start talking about this. And I want to be able to have those deep conversations with men and ask them around like, you know, what's happening and how come we can't talk about those things and then show that it's possible to talk about this to kind of break those stigmas and those stereotypes that we can't have men talking and going deep about the topic. And how have, you, how have you found, since obviously you started it, initially was it hard to get men on? And then when did you get, did you get men on? Like, how did you, like, if you approach me and Neil right now, we had no idea what a podcast is, like, what, how would you approach us and say, do I come on and talk about your mental health? As simple as that. <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Is that all you do? Is it as simple as that? No, it's it's pretty complicated. Like even even today with the lift of the lockdown, I'm going back onto the studio next week and, and it is still something that, you know, I've sent like five messages and I don't really have answers to be like, yeah, fuck yeah, usually the Aussie, fuck yeah. It's not <laughs> that. It's like, uh, uh, I'm Maybe. very uncomfortable with that, but I'll do it for you. So it's kind of like, I've had people that felt like, okay, I'll do it for you because, you know, we're friends or I want to help you or I'll do it for someone else. So they like, they don't really do it for themselves. They do it like yeah, they're really yeah. uncomfortable with this idea. Yeah. yeah. So it's not that easy. Because I want to stop, pause and take a step back. Because if you think, Gary, maybe you tell me as well, but before I got to Australia, for some reason, Australia, whether it was sports related, there was this, I don't know, if someone said, oh, what do you think of Australians? And as I said, mostly in the sports area, you go, oh, yeah, they're really cocky, arrogant, like, think, you know, they're always going to win. 
and that was like a real weird thing like when you when you're coming from europe into australia like there's that bravado that you know puffy chest kind of vibe when you get here like i don't think you feel that when you're living here not not well not as much as you think it is and there's all those misconceptions about any place you go to right you know you think there's gonna be kangaroos everywhere and it was just hot 365 days a year but if anyone's lived in melbourne they'll tell you otherwise why do you think that is like is it is it linked to australia's recent history is it around conservatism like is do you have, have you found any any reasons why you think men are like that over here yeah that's that's a brilliant question and i'm still trying to answer it and i'm like a bit of a warning i didn't say that at the start but I'm using a lot of generalization because if I can't make generalization, I can't talk about the problem. So, you know, apologies in advance if uh, a man listening to that or a woman listening to that doesn't, you know, think that it actually relates to them. But let's just assume that we can make generalization to talk about this. Um, I I ask the question a lot around me and especially to the guys that were coming in the show around, what do you think exactly to your question? You know, like, what do you think is the reason why Australian men have been raised like this? And some of the questions that I've had, I've, re- I've received from the guys were around, it's for some reason more around like the way that Australia was created. It was, you know, back in the days where there was nothing in Australia. I mean, obviously we had um, the uh, like First Nation people that had life, but if you were coming into a city that had nothing, you had to build everything and potentially in the middle of a desert. And so their interpretation was the fact that it was so tough life here and they were also coming from the convict uh, generation that the fact is like, don't winch. Like you have to get on with it. You have to build everything yourself and be strong about it. So that's one interpretation. I think, I don't know if it's an accurate one. Another one would probably be, be, and I don't know how to explain it, but that, yeah, Aussie guys are raised to be tough, to be strong, to not whinge about the small stuff. You know, you've got in Australia, really, we've heard it all so many times. She'll be all right. That's just the answer for everything. She'll be all right. And I actually was wondering where she is, but then I understood there was no she. Um, And yeah, it's like, there's there's this mentality of like just being so chill. And so I think that's where it comes from, but I'm not too sure how it got Hmm. clearly injected into the wider community, probably the media. I don't know, Crocodile Dondi, to be like, you know, super strong and fight Crocodile. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it, ha- it has come up though like this idea of like I was trying to ask who's the iconic Aussie man when you think about an Aussie man and that kind of like popped up like Crocodile Dundee I love the way you say Crocodile Dundee it's very glamorous <laughs> <laughs> Dundee's also a town uh, place in, in Scotland and it, Dundee it just sounds like I yeah, say Dundee completely different <laughs> Crocodile Dundee <laughs> again as a piece of media Honestly, Crocodile Dundee, the movies, educate, like, that's where I got most of my education about Australia before coming here. If I asked most of my mates, they would literally refer back to things that happened in Crocodile Dundee, you know, like, that's not a knife, this is a knife, you know? You see, have you seen that scene in this, I don't know if you watched The Simpsons growing up, did you watch it, Cecil? The Simpsons? Uh, not, not that much, no, but I don't know, maybe, maybe if it's a... There's a scene in The Simpsons where it's supposed to be Crocodile Dundee and he goes up to a guy and he pulls out or whatever, and he goes, oh, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And the guy goes, that's not a knife. That's a spoon. And he goes, oh, I see you've played knifey spoony before. 
Yeah, that that Simpson episode is just unreal. Like the that. writing in that is fantastic. You know, when they go to meet the prime minister and he's like, "Oh, prime minister," and he's like, he's in a um, what do you call it, like a water lounger, like in the middle of a pill, drinking a Foster's beer. Actually, <laughs> actually, just no. so stereotypical. Bill, Bill, um, which actually here's a fun fact: Foster's isn't even an Australian beer anymore. Yeah, that's right. Aye. And Cecile, going back to the barriers to entry to go on to your podcast, let's say for males in Australia, and you touched on some of the, your hypotheses there. Is there a difference between generations? Like, do you think, did you find it easier to get men, let's say older generations versus younger or? Yeah. I mean, not that I've asked that many kind of 60 plus men to come on the show, but Definitely, I can see the reaction on the face of men that are a bit older when I tell them about the podcast versus a, a bit of a younger audience for sure. Like, for example, my fiance stepdad, like whenever he hears about the podcast, you can feel that he kind of cringes in front of himself. Doesn't mean that every, you know, 60 plus uh, men in Australia is going to react the same. But I think from what I've heard talking to guys, they can see a gap between their dad's generation and their own generation around like how much more education and awareness there is around mental health and being able to talk about things but also the weight that it can have on their own mental health to abide by those you know masculinity rules that they definitely they're still coming from the dad and also seeing my mates becoming dad soon which I know maybe some of you are becoming dad soon too uh, it's like how do I want to behave <laughs> how do I want to behave and how do I want to act with my children and do I want to behave the same way or do I want to break something because I don't actually want to identify with the same parental male norms as all the generations? Mm. Yeah, we had um, the director of Happy Sad Man on a few weeks ago and Genevieve, one of the characters in her movie, yeah, it's an amazing movie, was Ivan, who worked specifically out in the farms in Australia, which would, let's say, if you think about that older generation, but then also then that old traditional Australian, you know, industry of farming. And his, in his own words, he said, most of the Aussie blokes will do all the blokey things, fix the lights, change the car wheels, da, 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 but they don't do, they don't look after themselves, you know, because it's probably just ingrained in the history of like, well, you just get on with it, you, you, plow, the, you plow the land and you, you know, you get your stuff done. Um, and you touched on masculinity as well, which like, and this whole thing of toxic masculinity now has become like a kind of common phrase. Could you maybe talk to listeners on the difference between maybe traditional masculinity and the link to toxic masculinity or even what they are? Yeah, that's a very, very big topic. I think there are a lot of different people around that would have different version of what it is. I, I personally, especially on the podcast or around my friends, I personally prefer to talk about stoic masculinity rather than toxic masculinity, just because when we use the word toxic and masculinity, obviously there is a negative element to it and I'm not saying that there's no element to some parts of masculinity but I tend to want to stay away from judgment or making it into something that could potentially trigger the conversation I think this why why I prefer talking about toxic stoic masculinity is around this idea of not showing emotions and just being able to endure pain and that's something that I, I think we should kind of talk about more rather than saying like there is a, a good and a bad masculinity but I think to talk about the difference between why we talk about toxic masculinity is probably around the fact that there are some people that are going to be judging 
a person for not being masculine enough in a way that, for example, you know, playing sport is seen by society as being more of a masculine trait, even though a lot of people might disagree with that. And then a person that actually at school doesn't want to play, uh, you know, football and might want to, I don't know, for some reason, go and play, um, go and paint or play music might then be bullied into because they don't fit the norm of the gender. And that's when it can become a toxic thing when you don't actually fit that box that is created and then you're a little bit outside of it. And then this becomes, um, you know, that can become a toxic thing. And then the, I think the part that relates then to stoic masculinity is all around the emotions. And the fact that if being masculine or masculine enough means not showing emotions, then that's when it can become extremely toxic for a man because it means that they're not going to be able to open up. And the Aussie way of saying it is like bottling up their feelings and drinking them away. And that's where I think instead of being toxic, it's a dangerous side of the masculinity that leads to potentially mental health issues or self-harm. But again, yeah, I, I definitely prefer the word stoic masculinity because I think everyone can understand that they have a stoic side of themselves. I have a stoic side of myself, uh, but I wouldn't really want to say like there's a toxic side of masculinity. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that does. And But in terms of where that comes from or stems from, let's say in, in men, where do you, is that true parenting? Is it environment? Mm. All of those things. So how looking at the next generation of men, which I think we'll all probably agree ourselves that are going to be a little bit more open with their emotions, the way society has gone. But do you think the solution is in parenting or educating children when they're growing up? As a, yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. I've been thinking a ton about this because I'm at an age where I could become a parent. I've got friends around me that are new parents and I'm, I'm really scared about shit. Like, what am I going to do? What I'm going to show to my kids? I do believe that parenting is is extremely important I was reading an article from Tom Harkin which I do think that you should definitely have on this podcast he's, he's created a, a charity called Tomorrow Men where they have workshops around masculinity and they go to schools to um, have those workshops around masculinity for young men but also in, in corporate and he was writing an article talking about his point of view and he was explaining this idea of like when you have little boys and when they get toys, they get cars to, that they have to fix. They get tools that you know, helps they're going to fix things. They have superheroes that are um, going to save the world or save people. And that kind of relates to what you were talking about, Neil, about the farmers. So they've been taught to fix things, but not really themselves. And then if you go look at the girls, the cliche would be that they're going to get dolls. They're going to get a kitchen. And, and they're going to basically learn how to care for others. And so what's happening is that from such a young age, we actually, as a very stereotypical way, we're actually teaching boys to fix things and to be a savior versus uh, little girls to be there, be present, care, talk, have conversations. And that's like probably a part of how we're raising kids. Another thing that I'm very struggling with in Australia and, and the idea of having my kids going through um, the educational system here is those non-cohead schools. So having schools with only boys and schools with only girls, uh, that's something that we used to have back in France at my parents' generation. And we've really gotten rid of it like massively, probably 95% of schools in France um, are definitely cohead schools. 
And I do think that it really creates a big gap between men and, and like young boys and young girls. And the fact that they don't really learn to become friends and to really interact with each other, that can then lead on creating some further issues when you turn into an age when you start dating. Because if you're not used to having friends, then how like you just see girls basically to be like a, a woman that you're going to have a a dating or a sexual relations with rather than a friendship which is a lot more egalitarian and so just that if I had to change two things to which the way I think we can influence the next generation is definitely parenting also like what we tell young boys in Australia like so many of the people around me have told me oh yeah when I was growing up it was like don't don't cry like a little girl like you shouldn't cry and like just not really having a space for kids to talk about their emotions a guy that really inspired the podcast would tell me once that he realized by listening to the podcast that when he was growing up, when he was sad about something that happened in school, his parents will then put him in front of the telly and give him a snack and be like, you know, you're going to be better. Whereas like all he wanted to do was actually talk about it. So it's like, I think threefolds, the way that we kind of like create those gender roles from such a young age, the way we talk about our kids about emotions and the way that we try to encourage them to explain how they're feeling, like teach them vocabulary. But also if we can please get rid of those non-quiet schools, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's some amazing advice there. I was just like, things were going off triggering like my school days as well. And I think you're dead right. I went to like a boys only with no sexual education whatsoever until I, I mean, even arguably going right through high school, you're just not taught anything. We had one sex ed class and, I'll never forget, this is really embarrassing, but like thinking of a blowjob, I thought that's when someone blew, like, like that's literally, and I was so embarrassed by that. That's how you do it. Oh, man. But, and then you're like, you're aware, like a, a woman was more of an object of you sexually, like, oh, well, I have to go and like be with a woman because that's what I'm supposed to do kind of thing. That whole phrase of sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will ever hurt. Like, really, isn't that true? Because, as you said, like all those colloquialisms that you end up using, like I remember I used to do art as well. And when I, I remember people used to go, oh, you're gay for doing art. Like used to hear stuff like that. And you're like, what? And people are forced away from those creative spaces because it's not the norm because you just have to be like, you know, captain of the school team. So yeah, I think there's still, a, there's a lot of work to be done, right? To flip that switch. I do think that's, I do think that has changed though in the last, I mean, when, when we were in high school, sorry, or primary school, what, late 90s, early 2000s? 70s, yeah. 70s black and white tight TVs. <laughs> uh, I mean, like even just talking to young kids now, like plenty of kids I know are into arts and dramas and all sorts of things that you just have to look at YouTube. How many kids are creative now putting themselves out there? Like you said, in the early 2000s, late 90s, that would have been looked at differently. And I mean, even nowadays, everyone is a wee bit scared to put themselves out there because of fear of being judged in some way. But I do think that has, we have come a long way in that term. You see so many youngsters doing some amazing things that, as you said, maybe people look at in the back back 20 years ago and be like, oh, that's, that's for girls. That's, for, that's not a guy thing to do. But like masculinity, I think, gets mixed up a lot as well, doesn't it? With like gender. I mean, even for you, Cecile, you've got masculinity and you, you've got femininity in you. Same with me and Gary, we've got both. And you need to use your masculine energy at various points in your life, maybe when you need to push on or, you know, do something or whatever. And you need to have your feminine side as well. They're not bad things. It's the yin and the yang, right? Like, do you think, 
where where is this skew even thinking of males yeah as gary you were saying that maybe the balance is like should it be 50 50 and yeah i i mean to your point neil around masculinity and femininity when when i was thinking about this the other day i'm also even questioning like what is masculinity what is femininity and isn't it just a social construct you know what you said about like i'm gonna turn to my masculine side to do something well i'm actually just trying to deconstruct that or, or just simply asking like what does it mean? Is it just like my strength? Why does my strength or my, you know, pushiness, why does it need to be my masculine side? And why does my caring side and emotional side need to be my feminine side? Because I think if we continue on saying this, we, we're continuing having the divide. And, you know, I think it's, it's a simplification, which a lot of people then, you know, are comfortable with. But if I could push it a little bit further, it's like, how do we know that this is even real? How do we know that it's not just society telling us this is masculine, this is feminine, where it's just emotions and just the same thing? Hmm. Well, not the same thing, but just different human characters. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, I, well as I was saying, I was going to say, as I was saying that line just before, I in my own head, I was like, shit, that actually sounds really sexist, what I just said. Like, oh, when you need to be masculine, as in we've just associated being strong with being the, the male side of you. And I was like, even in that in a sense, if you construct that, that's pretty sexist, right? It's, it's good to be aware. I think the most important thing that I, I want to say throughout like this, my whole journey with the podcast and all this conversation is just no one is doing something toxic or, or wrong. Oh, some people are, but it's more about just exactly what you did, you know, it's like saying something and just asking, oh shit, like, why did I say that? It's not that it's wrong what you said. It's like, why did I say this? And just going into your own journey about deconstructing some of those things. Yeah, I think that society is a good point to show. I think it's very, as you get older and you become more self-aware, you start to realize your own thoughts and thinking, am I, am I just thinking that because that's what, like, I mean, the context from youth coming from France and me coming from Scotland and even Neil coming from Ireland. And now you, when you first come here, I remember, so my fiance is Serbian. And I went to my first Serbian wedding. I was like, this is fucking weird, man. This is mental. But then the more I spoke to other Orthodox people, like, I'm like, oh, shit, there's millions of people who have weddings like this. Maybe I'm weird. And then the more I spoke to, I, spoke, I was at Love in America, I met, I met Mexican people who had weddings, and that was completely different again. I was thinking, I've been just brainwashed to believe the way I do things is the way it's to be done. And then, again, that comes from travel and all the rest of it. But I think society is... It's a tough one. I mean, like you said, uh, Sully, you're talking about being careful what you say, that sort of thing. I remember reading or listening to Jordan Peterson talk about this topic. It was a big, about two years ago, three years ago, it was a massive thing. But it was more gender-based than it was masculine femininity. But they've done the thing in Scandinavia. Uh, and I don't want to go too, I don't know the exact facts how it happened. But I remember them trying to leave like males and females to go, okay, equality, go and go to the careers you want to go be in. And I think the, the females gravitated more towards nursing teaching, helping people, that sort of thing that you touched on, Cecile, whereas the men were started to veer towards engineering, trading, just you're using their hands. So I also consider, I know society is a factor, but is, is biology just a factor as well? Like, is there things where it's just, that's the way we're, we're born as well? There's that sort of divide. Is, is women, have women just got that sort of motherly touch? Are they want to go and help people? And has guys got that thing, they want to use their hands? I don't know. It's just, I think there's a lot of variables at play. I think it would be hard. I think I don't know if they haven't tried to do this, but it's definitely not ethically correct to like, how could you create a society where you know that there's no parameter that is enforcing gender roles? Because, you know, those people that were in, in, in this test, 
where 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 they were it's like what what toys do they play with and you can't you can't just mimic can you imagine like taking like away like 20 babies and being like you live in a bubble where there's no gender wrong but i think i think it would be interesting to be like you know in this and probably jordan Peterson, if he said that there was a bit of of conversation around this it was probably because you know understanding okay what force people to go down the road of of doing this or that and is that because of of their actual physical capability or is that because they're intrinsically I don't know is there something in our in our gene that women that are better making us better as teachers yeah, I don't yeah. know oh, yeah, and also like and I and I know it's gonna sound I don't know if it's the exact same thing but in a way my my favorite kind of gender role that I like to use when talking about uh, differences is the fact that men are chefs and women are cooks <laughs> and the fact that it's like it's the same bloody thing why is one like you know you know in terms like you know what you're talking about Gary was like in terms of real differences in in work now we're talking about the same thing but one are chefs and one are cooks and there's not like one is like caring and making food at home and one is like a business person so it has to be a man you know what I mean it's like huh yeah, yeah but, the word chef just sounds like it's all oh, 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 chef sounds brilliant yeah it sounds like you're making dinner for the family yeah. it's, like, it's the same fucking thing mate i'll make a dinner i'll make a meal but, but even like if you this feels like we're inception now we're going down another layer when i think <laughs> when i think about this but let's not forget that men and women are different and i think sometimes that gets lost as well that there are certain things that men do or let's say naturally come to them there's some things that women do naturally but not to confuse them with some of those, as Gary was saying, that experiment of like, well, yeah, the, you know, we don't know the environment, but women bear children, like men don't do that. So there's intrinsic things that we're linked with and not linked with, which we should also celebrate, but it's not necessarily linked to your gender. Maybe it's not linked to masculinity or femininity either. It's just more a humanistic thing. I don't know if there's a category for it, but don't forget that you know you can there's still brilliant things about women that we need and there's still brilliant things about men that we need you know yeah it can be i think that makes the conversation I, difficult sometimes because people want, sometimes are scared to talk about it because they're scared to offend people so it's like they don't want to just say like there's nothing wrong with you've got female traits because you're born a female and you've got some amazing things to be celebrated and same for a man but like cecile mentioned it's like trying to differentiate is a, a feminine and masculine trait and like is crying feminine is it fuck it's just a thing it's a human thing so I think that's that's a line, but I think having a conversation about it, like you were just discussing there, Sally, is like sometimes I try to talk about it and you're going, oh, can I say that? I don't want to say that. I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to become sexist. I don't want to be this. And it becomes a very awkward topic sometimes. And I think if you could just go, right, relax. Just two humans having a conversation. You're a man, it's a woman. We know that. Do you know the thing that gets me now? You know, like, you know, normally you'd say, oh, manpower, like, or man hours, like, which is a common term. Now I don't how what what's the like that sounds like our team for example with Nimbus is 99% female I'm the only male out of 21 which is a really nice flip of the switch that way but I always find it I always go oh yeah we need to get some more man hours and like oh do I say human hours like (laughs) I've never heard this before you know it's like those terms like it's even when you you mentioned it wrong lady boss lady boss yeah we know you're like for some reason, we always say like your car, it's always a woman, you know, it's like, oh, she's, mm. she's great. Yeah. yeah. Like men say that, like what, yeah. like, 
Where did, how did you get to those places? It was a country. You call a country. It's female, isn't it? Like a country. If you're talking about that in a war, you'd be like, oh, she. You'd be talking to a country. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's probably some reason for that. Yeah, where do they come from, Cecile? Any ideas there? Oh, you want, you want my, my... Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We've hit a sore spot. No. No, 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 no. Well, it's just, if you think about it, you, you own a car, you ride a bike, and, and I think there's this idea of like, in my opinion, but you know, it's, I think this is the ownership and the, right. I, I have it, you know, like this is my thing. And I don't know, and maybe because maybe guys enjoy playing with feminine things. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, to be fair, it's a thing because um, in, in Latin languages, you have the masculine and the feminine. So it's not even a question, like a car is feminine, a boat is masculine. So it just, for me, it was more like, why is she saying she for a boat? Because it's clearly masculine, right? Clearly. And then, yeah, and it's just, it doesn't make sense to me that why should we then attribute a gender to certain topics, to certain objects? Mm. It's just weird. Do you guys know the answer of why do you say she? Nah, I don't know the answer. I, do, I just, I was just curious and- I find all I think that the whole conversation is interesting. There's a lot, obviously, you're not just talking about your opinions. You're, you're looking at societal behaviour, looking at psychology. You're looking at biology. There's so many variables at play, and a lot of them I don't know well enough to really. And there's probably not an answer. When you were speaking to this, I was like, oh my god, you're, I've never re- never put it in that context before of like the ownership. Is that like a male thing trying to own the things that we want? And then I just got thinking about surnames you know when you get married mm. woman takes the man's surname goes from the dad to the husband so you go from one ownership to, and it's actually like i'm not even kidding there's actually a real thing is you're owned by your father and you've given away you know you know when your dad gives you away or a uh, away like gives you away actually. yeah it's a bit weird right gives you away or away to your husband and then you become the ownership of the husband it's true like it's legit yeah, I've never I've never thought about it that deeply before, but it almost like feels like a form of like slavery in in sense of like like you're now owned by this person in the kitchen. Yeah, in the kitchen. You'll be cooking. I'll be doing a chef work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we shouldn't really be laughing because it's not really yeah, a great thing. But I mean that 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 is changing as well. I've heard of uh, you know men now taking women's names, which I think is you know mm. power to them if that's the case. Sue and I have joked about that as well, but her surname is Tuttle, so Neil Tuttle, like I just sound like a, a boring accountant. So I think, um, <laughs> no offense to the accountants out there, but but likewise, like she's not going to take my surname, you know, and I wouldn't pressure her to do that either, even though I think Sue O'Sullivan sounds cool, SOS, like send help. <laughs> but going back to the mental health side of things, Cecile, what was it like in France, mental health wise? Yeah, that's a good question. And and I actually, I haven't lived in France for 10 years, so I'm not going to, I can't really say what has changed in 10 years. And I know that we've they've been talking a lot more about it, but what was interesting is when I moved to Australia, I was really positively surprised about this term mental health that was thrown a lot in the corporate world. And I was like, oh, it's definitely not happening in France. But what I would say is the big difference that I've noticed was around more, you know, men opening up and sharing about what's happening and, and so I don't know if you could link it to mental health, but we definitely don't talk about this, this thing of the high suicide for young men. 
And, and I know that, for example, I've seen men cry on TV in France. And do you guys remember that story of when Australia cheated at, like, tampered with the ball okay. in, yeah. in cricket? Mm-hmm. And that the captain of the team came on TV and cried. And some people said that he got actually, uh, like, he apologized. And some people said that, you know, they believed that he had been, like, going through hard stuff because he cried on TV. And the fact that he had cried on TV made sense it's so legit because a man cried on TV is just not possible. Like, it's just not something that we fathom that men cry. And, like, whereas I grew up, and you guys probably have seen it quite a lot in Europe as well, is, like, for example, football. They cry all the time. <laughs> like, it's something that's just, like, normal. And especially when you, see, when, you, when you look at a Brazilian team, Brazilian, like, cry a lot. Like, they, like they, they just show their emotions a lot more. So when I when I moved to Australia, have being met with such stoicism from men, that's when I noticed the difference with with French men or European men is is the kind of how how hard it was for them to show their emotions and be comfortable talking about their emotions. So yeah, I'm not, I'm sorry, Gary, I'm not really answering your question about the difference for mental health, but I can talk about the difference of emotional ability to talk about that. No, that's a good the point. Stuff. The, the, the sporting thing is a good, interesting point, actually. There was actually a story that came out, I think it was only yesterday, it was on BBC Sport, and it was a guy who was, I think he played football at a lower level in England, and he went on uh, Love Island in the UK, and he cried on TV. Do you see this, Sully? No, no. He cried on TV, and there's a big thing about it, but he's come out and said, like, look, I'm not ashamed. I don't understand why, hmm. why he's calling me out for crying on live TV. I'm not ashamed to cry. He's like, I was upset, so I cried. But there's a, there's a big, huge story about it. You should have a, have a read. But it's interesting to think. Yeah. That. I think South Americans, I can't really think of South Americans, but I definitely, you definitely see Brazilians, I think. There's a few that come to mind who I've seen a lot of them cry. Obviously, in competitive semifinals, finals, emotions are so high that I get that. But there is probably, I do see more than, I can't think of many British players I've seen cry. There's a few. I've seen Beckham, I think, cry. Gaza. But there's not many mm. who I can imagine crying on well, TV. What is it about, like, I'd love to stay on the French point as well, because, like, you know, French men and women, like, very passionate country. Like, what is it about French culture? I mean, arguably, you could say the same with, like, Italy, a close neighbour. I was just thinking as you were talking, like, is mental health maybe not as much of a, like, label term in France because it's part of the culture to be open and talk about it anyway? So it doesn't kind of boil to a head like that, that it's just part of normality. A little bit like how alcohol is, you know, where alcohol is appreciated in French culture versus it being a thing that you have to use to feel a certain way. Yeah, any any thoughts on, on the cultural side in France and how that's impacted how emotional men and, I'd say, women as well are? Uh, I would say it's probably not as stigmatized to show emotions in a negative way, probably. The, I think we still have an issue with mental health, especially when it comes to work. And, you know, we have a lot more inequalities in France. So there's probably like you know, poverty or like hardship in, in life that are causing mental health, but they might not be gender related in, in a way that it's just, my sister's a psych, psychiatrist and, and she did argue with me one day about the, the suicide rates in Australia saying that, women are actually, and she was talking from a friend's point of view, women are actually more uh, mentally like healed or having issues. It's just that they're not as efficient as killing themselves. So they will harm themselves, but not to the way of killing themselves. That's, so it doesn't mean that- That's actually true in Australia because Nick, who's from Batir, has told us before that although men commit suicide more often than women, 
um, women attempt suicide more than men every year. Yeah, so it would be the same issue then in France. I think the, so my interpretation, which is obviously not a, an expert, but my interpretation of why it might be less of an issue in France, or at least having talked to my friends, is the fact that in, in France, we are used to having more, more friendships between men and women. And I've heard from my friends in both Australia and France that it's, they feel like it's easier to talk to women about what's going on. So if they really have a big issue in their life, they will turn to a, a female to talk about that rather than their mate because they might be afraid of them, like you know, making fun of them, like this whole banter thing. And because my, my, my vision after having asked all those questions is that in France, we've got more opportunity to be friends with one another, like both genders, and hence there is more opportunity to reach out to a female, to a woman, to a female friend to have this conversation when you're having a hard time. Whereas in Australia, if you've never really been comfortable being around women or if you don't nurture your relationship with women when you reach a certain age and you only have your, your female partner, maybe your mom, but you don't have those person that are a little bit outside of your life that you can talk to or you don't feel comfortable having a conversation with, with a, a female friend, then what happens is you have less opportunities to do so and to open up and to be vulnerable. So for me, it's about creating opportunities. and. I want to equally create more opportunities for guys together to talk openly, same as what you guys are doing on this podcast, which I think is amazing. But also, how can we create more friendships between men and women if that's a natural thing, a more natural thing to do to talk about the deep stuff with a woman? Because mm -hmm. as well, maybe over generalizing here, but if you were to look at a French male, you would often see like they're, they seem way more in touch with their feminine side, whether it's what they wear, how they speak, even the old adage of like French men are just good lovers, you know, say, compared to the average Irish man, it's probably not a good, <laughs> not a good lover. Good shaggers. Yeah, good shaggers. Is that just a historic thing? Is that like a societal thing? Mm -hmm. Like what makes a French man a more charismatic, you know, in touch of the feminine side than let's say an average British person? What you, I was going to yeah, say, compare that to Britain, that's, that's sorry, it's as you, like the way you're saying that, sorry, as if it's like, you, I can only compare that to you and I, or the UK male traditional, what I, I would say is a UK male. But I mean, you still think you're getting, there's a, although that's the French, like the Spanish guys, who are like the same, Italian, South American, who are very similar to that as well. Mm. Uh, but again, I just don't know if that's because we are so detached from it. Like, I cannot imagine, the stuff we were talking about today, if I wouldn't have had these conversations with a big group of my mates, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm, like, mm. shut up <laughs> like and i just get slaughtered for the next like but but like in that typical laddie ah oh, we don't talk about that sort of thing anyway mm. blah 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 I, I, so I, I think that's very uk yeah uk and ireland sort of which is an extension though into australia which yeah yeah, an extension. yeah of course yeah, yeah definitely not, i think but that threat i don't think it's just france but i think i see i meet a, like from playing football different european guys and it completely different mindset like literally completely how they talk they don't understand even the drinking culture don't understand that they can't get how we drink the way we do and again like you spoke in previous podcasts we drink because sometimes that's that historical thing yeah. um just, is it possible I, I'm, I'm just trying to think about uh, it it's funny because sometimes i studied uh, a lot with international group and they, they turn out be like cecile why do you have to debate everything all the time and i was like <laughs> I'm not debating anything. I'm just having a conversation. Like, what is happening? And I've realized that culturally in France, we are raised to entertain a conversation, to really kind of like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's let's dig deeper. And is it possible that because in France we 
super highly value you know conversation and borderline like arguments like really being able to hold a conversation really far um you know the, those philosophical chats like they're they were put on a pedestal in like you know 1800s about like we had like philosophical clubs literally like this is what the higher society was doing so is it possible that because we put on a pedestal the chatting and the intellectual conversation is it possible that then we are closer to a conversation about emotions and what you're going through versus maybe countries probably like more anglo-saxons that value more physical activities and and you know playing sport like soccer etc is it possible yeah but that's a good point yeah i think that's touching on a really really interesting point i was thinking all the colonial countries around the world under the british empire now start to seem quite similar <laughs> like even, <laughs> even america i'm like yeah if you think about that like if you really break it down it's, it's, they, they, we are so similar in so many ways versus yeah. portuguese spanish south american kind of how are we going to change all that <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would say podcasts let's start with co-ed schools. Yeah, podcasts, podcasts first, and then co-ed schools. That's that's my thing. What do you? I don't know what do you, what do you what do you guys think? How how can we how can we break this down? Because you've been talking about it as well. I mean, I th- for me, it's so big. It's not something. It's like literally little pockets. Around it. Like you're doing a podcast, we're doing a podcast. There's people doing things much greater than podcasts. It's going to have to be in little spots in everyone's own little environment. So like us doing this podcast might reach say a thousand people. And those a thousand people light bulb moment to maybe twenty percent of them and they spread that's you can only impact those around you or those as, as far as you can. I think lots of that would, would be helpful. I mean even me doing this podcast, I'm thinking more about myself and thinking more about people close to me and noticing things a lot more often. So it definitely does make an impact. I think I, I don't know, it's a such a big thing straight away as I've already alluded to, me me thinking of all my groups of mates and my football teams and that sort of thing, this is not, not just mental health in general, is not discussed at all. And me trying to sit down, even me doing this podcast, me trying to sit down with some boys in my in my group, I can't imagine how that conversation would even go. I don't, think, I don't know how far it would even go. Do you know what I mean? I don't, so I don't know if they'd be comfortable, who they'd be comfortable to tell them to. I just... It's just such so many barriers. This is me talking from a male perspective anyway. And in my circle, I can't speak for feminines or uh, female, sorry, and anyone outside my circle. But I just think it's there's a lot of work to do, put it that way. I think there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, I think we're, even though, like, as Gary said, this whole journey for us has been so educational. Personally, we've learned so much. I've learned so much over the last, like, nine episodes, just speaking to all people from different walks. And every single episode, there's been at least one if not many, many more things like that. Fuck, that's amazing. And you just add that to your locker, uh, which is great. But also to your point, Gary, it's a little bit like, you know, living in Bondi, you think, oh, we all think like this or in the people we meet, like you go, oh, we all, it's all, we are going places. But if you were to put that against the total society, not just in Australia, but just like globally, it's Gary who's saying that number is actually uh, like so much smaller than what we think it is. To change that, I mean, I don't know. It's difficult. I think Gary's saying like there is power in one small movement, and it does ripple. And hopefully, like it's more about like upward managing. But you know, what's disappointing is like you look at the leadership, even in let's say this country, and how you know I think the, the average Australian is becoming more empathetic, which is great. But then we don't have that representation in the places that we need it. I think that's a big issue where. Uh, maybe democracy or whatnot you know i obviously support democracy it's a great thing but 
in theory, it doesn't play out as what you think it is, you know, who you're voting for. So I think there's a massive gap there. But imagine if we had more empaths and leadership roles across the world, like, you know, you could make a change. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> did, you, did you see the tweet uh, when Gladys Berejiklian resigned of a mom that said, uh, I just had my eight-year-old kid asking me if, um, if you can become a premier if you're a man. Oh, wow. Interesting. Huh? It's very powerful, isn't it? Have, have you, do you watch the, have you, Gary, have you ever seen the Julia Gillard speech against Tony Abbott in Parliament, like the misogyny speech? No. Oh, it's I think I saw it, yeah. Part of. It's unreal. Watch it like it's Tony Abbott, don't get me started. But when I thought he was bad and then we have the incumbent, I mean, that's a whole other show. But yeah, he just like was throwing up all this argument about like trying to make her feel weak. And she got torrent of abuse in the role that she was in. And she just delivers this like iconic speech, which was like, I think it's like 10, possibly 10 years ago at this point. And it's still like, it just yeah. gives you goosebumps just to think of how much pressure she was under and to deliver that retort in that environment, which was so hostile and going back to that toxic masculinity, maybe that is a case where you would actually call that toxic masculinity. Mm. And it was just, un it's unbelievable. I wish every kid in Australia could even just watch that video and that alone would mm. break down so many walls, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think just you know, quickly, like when I, when I started working on the podcast, I quickly realized that as soon as you leave Sydney or even like the Eastern Summer Bubble, the problem is humongously bigger. You know, the way that young men are raised outside of Sydney and, and remote regional, it is on another scale of what you need to do, how much you need to deliver for your family, you need to be the great winner. And, and that's why what you were saying about the power of the media is that changing a bit the mainstream media is going to influence so much quicker whatever we can do with like small podcasts, small indie podcast. And that's why I really hope that the mainstream media the education picks this up quite quickly because otherwise it's just not going to perpetrate to, uh, outside of Bondi. Well, I'll give you one example of this just very quickly, but in my old job, I won't say any names, but when people realized that I was in a mental health charity and, you know, have written things and were, you know, voicing my opinion about it, I had four separate people come up to me at various different stages of that four or five year period, break down to me and tell me their whole story. And in most cases, which was probably the scariest part for me, I mean, it was great that people were confiding and reaching out, but most of them weren't even telling those people that were most closest to them. Their parents didn't know, their sisters or brothers didn't know, and then even in some cases, their partners didn't know. That's what I was meaning when I said to talk to my group of mates. I don't know who they would even tell. I don't even, not just my mates, but the people we were talking about. I don't even know who they would tell. I can't imagine them having a conversation with anybody. Yeah, and like even though it was good that people were speaking to me, it also made me feel really sad. Like, if you were literally you know, on the edge, teetering at the edge, you're coming to someone in work who is essentially a stranger to your personal life ahead of someone who you actually love. But then also in some cases, those people who you love or your family are actually, and I don't blame them either because from there was various different cultural backgrounds where if you did bring it to someone over there, they would not be treated well. So I could also see that side of it. So it just made me really go, like, you know, yeah, how do we fix yeah, that? And that's, that's why, like, some people ask me, like, because the majority of the listeners of the podcast are women. And so they ask me, so, but, you know, what's the point if you being listened to mostly women? Don't, are you trying to reach more men? And I said, well, you know what? At the end of the day, it's also having 
more people being comfortable to listening to men's stories. And if someone turns to you and starts sharing their story and being vulnerable, how do you react to this? Because this is going to be the crucial point. And that's probably what you're talking about, Neil, about having the person in front of you. How are they going to react? And, and knowing that, you know, you can actually hold a conversation with someone, you can stop, you can listen to a man or, you know, whoever it is being vulnerable and struggling and just being present for them. Mm-hmm. What about your the, the podcast then, Cecile? What sort of impact do you, what do you use like, right, this has been a success. I mean, a big, big impact here. I'm successful. What is your like blue sky moment? Yeah, that's a question I still ask myself because obviously with the lockdown, I haven't been able to record. So I was asking myself, do I continue podcast? You know, what's what, where am I heading? And what success looks like, and it's probably the same for you guys, is what I love is the fact that even outside of the recording studio, outside of people listening to the episodes, you know, I'm able to have a conversation with someone that I never met and be like, oh, I've got a podcast about Aussie men. And, and then it's like, oh, really? It's like, what do you talk about? And then it just starts the conversation. And, and the podcast, even outside of listening to podcasts, is a conversation starter. And that's when, to me, it is a very powerful tool is that I don't even need to be recording the podcast every day to hold this kind of like thing of like, this is what I'm interested in about. And this is what I want to introduce in a wider conversation because ever since I've done it for the last two and a half years, I've had so many more conversation about mental health and about, uh, masculinity and, and stoic masculinity than I would ever have been able to. So for me, that's that's a success. And then, well, hopefully the idea of inspiring more men to go beyond the small talk whenever they're at a barbie with their mates to be like, or just even ask, like, how are you doing, mate? How are you really doing? And that was, are you okay this year? Like, how are you really doing, mate? Because we're so used to being like, yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. And not actually go beyond the small talk. So that's that's where I judge the power of it is like how many more like how many less small talks can we have in Australia that's great advice yeah I think if there are any men out there particularly who are struggling with masculinity there is a great charity called Mr Perfect there's a guy called Terry who runs that and um, you might you probably know him <laughs> and they do Barbies and they try and bring men together and try and break down the walls of masculinity so they can open up so there is some great work um, being done out there, thankfully. And what about the future? So where is next for, I'm asking for a mate, global domination? Yeah, world domination, obviously. It's my masculine side <laughs> <laughs> about world domination. Uh, well, actually, I'm literally just looking forward to going back to the studio because I, I think, yeah, this is amazing what you're doing and, and being able to do it through Zoom. But I do find the face-to-face is something that I want to create when I've got a guest and like a man coming on the show because I'm, you know, being, going down, like going down, not a rabbit hole, but going and having a deep conversation, I found that it's a lot more powerful than being able to do it face-to-face, especially for guys that have never shared that story. You know, you said it, Neil, some, you had some people being like, I've never actually told anyone that story. I've had men coming and saying, I've never told my closest mate that story. So yeah, just looking forward to going back into the recording studio and then having, I really want to have more and more guys reaching out to me directly and be like, hey, I want to talk because I'm literally welcoming like anyone and and I want to feel like guys are starting to more and more from themselves, not me just, you know, knocking on the door be like, hey, do you want to come on my show? And just starting recording more and more episodes. That would be that would be fantastic. The last thing that uh, we usually do with all the guests is just a little quick fire question, Cecile. 
So four quick questions, just short and punchy answers. And one thing we always ask is, we want to know when you're at your happiest. When am I at my happiest? Probably when I'm coming back from a base win over the weekend. And I know that I've done, you know, my training, I've taken care of myself, I've spent time with my friends, and now I can just relax. Out of 10, where do you think the world is currently in terms of mental health? Oh, I want to I wanna be optimistic, but I don't know, probably a six or five. Okay, out of 10, where are you currently with your own mental health? Um, I would say seven or eight, but I definitely need a holiday. <laughs> uh, and if you could recommend just one thing for people to do each day to improve their mental health, what would it be? Yeah, um, I think it was mentioned on one of your podcasts, the power of going out exercising. Literally, I wasn't a morning person until I met my fiance that is Aussie and wakes up at ridiculously early hours. And, and I used to be a good European woman going to bed very late. And I've got to say, now that I've put in my schedule to every morning, I get out the door and I do something, whatever it is, yoga, running, swimming, cycling, that tremendously has improved my productivity and my mental health. Nick spoke about this from the tears. What do you call that? Away moves or home moves? So you've got a choice. You always have a choice. Like, will I get out of bed or will I snooze for another bit? But he said, like, it can be as simple sometimes of just choosing to go, well, I'm going to get out of bed. And then you just don't know what might happen. And it's the same with this podcast. And you mentioned already about your own podcast that even by setting it up, by starting these conversations, you just don't know what might happen ever. And both Gary and I have already seen and have met people and things are starting to happen outside of the the four walls of the audio world um, already. And that wouldn't have happened if we didn't just do it. So just take that step if you're listening, whatever that is, and you just never know. You might meet your future partner, future job, change a job. I don't know. <laughs> Be a politician. <laughs> do something. We need people to take action, you know? So, and speaking of your podcast, so if, if, if anyone wants to subscribe or listen, like where can they find you? Oh, once they go on the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, any anyone that wants to come on the podcast, more than happy. You can reach out to me on Instagram. So asking for a mate podcast. You can listen on any platform. I think nowadays everyone knows Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast. Just Google asking for a mate podcast, and then you'll you'll find me somewhere. Otherwise, I also have a website. If people are into website, asking for a mate.org. But yeah, do do reach out. Like literally, if there is a man out there that wants to have a bit of a chat with me it can be heaps of fun it can be really deep if you want to go really deep and i'm really looking forward to like starting to record again Wait, so how often are you recording podcasts are you doing it once a week daily weekly once a month once a month a month, yeah. i know that you guys do it once a week which i think is amazing but having a full-time job and growing a business on the side i yeah i really wanted to to do it like kind of like not too much otherwise I was going to burn out and I, I want to keep on enjoying it because it takes me like probably six or seven hours to edit a, an episode and release it out yep. so that's a ton of work and I don't know how you guys do it every week yeah, it's tough. so uh, kudos to uh, you uh, yeah. we'll start, not struggle but it is like I can I know what you mean because both of us have got a full-time job also at side businesses and it's like to start with first two weeks it was like We'll get that by Monday, that by Tuesday, that by Wednesday. But then that thing by Monday became also on Tuesday. Then that Tuesday day became four things. It was like, shit, we've got an episode coming up. Shit. And then 
it snowballed so quickly. And now we've got like 20 guests already booked in. So we can't really stop until until, until we hit 21. And that's we 21, I was <laughs> That is a magic number. Well, you guys, you guys will tell me when you reach 21, we can do the celebration. I was going to say, if, if we're struggling, will you come back on and be... I'll do the 21st if you want. <laughs> Remember that when you were a kid? I don't know if you did it in Ireland or Scotland, but like... I had a best uh, a best girlfriend called Elaine McGee. And when we were about 13, we both said, by the time we hit 40, like if you weren't married, would you marry each other? And we made it. <laughs> <laughs> she's, but there's two things about that. Isn't that cute though? Yeah. It is very yeah, cute. You got a phone call in two years' time off Elaine, that'll be superb. Yeah. <laughs> I get, if I get divorced in the next three years, uh, I'll give you a call, Elaine. <laughs> Well, if you if you do struggle, I will definitely come back. Uh, but I've I've got some like recommendations if you guys want to like reach out. Like for example, like Tom, as I mentioned from Tomorrow Man, he's he's amazing. Um, I, tell him to come on my show as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've got his, I've got Tom Harkin. You said yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got his website up just now as I'm looking at it. Yeah, we're not. We're like we are reaching high. Like we've been we've been Instagramming. Like I think I Instagram Matthew McConaughey. Um, <laughs> Well, he's on the Calm app and he does the whole, like, you listen to Matthew McConaughey and you can fall asleep. And I've listened to him and it's like, he's just, you know, Matthew McConaughey. So he's just like cool as shit. And he probably has his shirt off as normal, but he's just like, welcome and Matthew McConaughey. And you're just like, oh. So I was like, he'd be great on the show. But so if you are listening, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> or if you know Matthew, reach out to him. I think yeah. like, uh, have you guys reached out to like Osher Gansberg or uh, Gus Walland? No, not yet, but I know Asha's story, yeah, and then, like, his whole journey. So, yeah, he could be one that we will have to add him down yeah. on the list. Yeah, you need to teach me a bit of, like, uh, motivation on reaching out to, to big profiles because I haven't been good at this. I, I just, I just literally true. completely just go for it. I just, well, in the day, just, if they say no, they say no. Or they don't answer, they don't answer. Yeah. But if you don't, sometimes you're just, a lot of people are very receptive to it because it is a very... A, a very interesting topic and people want to share the message especially people who are passionate about it so you'd be surprised who say yeah. yes yeah two two words yeah. i would say which i learned from my mother no shame she's <laughs> always embarrassed going you can't ask that i'm like i don't give a shy i'm just gonna ask them what are they gonna say no like you know okay. yeah we also we've asked jamelia jamil who i don't know if she's listening to the podcast mm -hmm. but if she is <laughs> matthew and you just she's said, amazing <laughs> Well, you were asking, ask, well, no, sorry, actually. we asked you how you measured the success of your podcast. Uh, but, yes, how do you measure your success? Well, um, by, 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 salt, by Neil's estimations right now, we'll be on some sort of, don't win a cinema screens, mate. I, I wasn't planning on being that big, asking Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, we haven't really spoken. I mean, listeners is obviously one that jumps straight out, but, you know... I I'll tell you for me, mate, the one thing that would be for me, this would be so simple, would be if just one person approached me and says, by the way, I listened to Cecile's podcast and I've done X, Y, and Z, and honestly, just yeah. changed my mindset. If somebody just one yeah. person, done, even done that thousand episodes and one person done it, I'd be like, that is fucking class. That'd be, that'd be enough for me. Yeah. Hmm. I've, I've, yeah, I've had it and it feels fucking great. Yeah, I think that'd be massive. Yeah. yeah I, one, one, one advice I've, received or I've given myself I can't remember it, I was really like looking at those numbers and it was really like driving me up and down as the numbers were going up of down of listeners 
and I've really tried to detach myself from it because that is really just you know the same as like social media the more you post especially for women like the more you're naked the more you're gonna get liked and it's like why are we even like doing this why are we striving for those likes and those those numbers that they don't really mean something so now I've kind of like almost like stopped looking at, at those numbers obviously I understand that this is what you want to gauge you know how many listeners you have but it can be a, a, a big turnoff which is not a, a good one especially when you get started and I think like anyone has said like whenever would they get a bigger podcast that looking at those numbers can actually hurt you more than help you mm. yeah well, again it's that whole thing you don't need a um, hundred thousand listeners you just need if you can get like a hundred loyal full listeners and they love it and they spread the message and it's probably more impactful than anything else. Yeah, I think doesn't the average person tell somebody else something, it goes 10x, I think it is. It's like something like that, like that you pass on that message. So, and yeah, like e- even in the few weeks we've started this, it's been more you been more rewarding hearing just people in your circle going, gosh, what you're doing is great. They, they've not even listened to a show yet, you know, or some, some people say, oh, I listened to a few minutes, you know, which is fine. Like, you know, we do ramble on for a bit, so... It's totally fine. My own little brother hasn't even listened to one of the shows. Barry, <laughs> we've chatted. I've got to say, I've got. I was struggling to find enough time to finish the the Batir episode, and I put times times one point five. The Scottish accent with one point five doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go to zero point five. That's what you need to go. <laughs> I think you're doing a good job, Gary. I think Matt, like you understood Gary pretty well, Cecile. No. Uh, that's my that's my biggest talk about learning about yourself. The first three, even I listened to my first three episodes and I was like, I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I'm trying to. I mean, there's a, there's a limit how slow I can speak. If I'm speaking, asking you a question, I can slow right down. But if I start talking about something I'm passionate about, I'm fucking gone. And then one episode where we're drinking whiskey on it. So I'm I'm not looking, I'm not even gonna listen back to that episode because I would have been fucking all over the shop. <laughs> You should have a disclaimer. Do not listen to this episode 1.5. You're not going to get understand Gary. It's not going to work. Yeah. No, Gary's had a few belters already. He said, the way he said croissant one time, just like, croissant, right, right. yeah, <laughs> And then Snake's wedding. I've had a few friends in my circle go, that was hilarious. Gary described like having wires all around your house, you know, like cables. He called that Snake's wedding. <laughs> Oh, uh, stop. Well, we really appreciate your time. This has been a really good chat. We actually got to read some really nice grounds. So appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was it was great. It was really fun. It's it's amazing having being able to talk about this and also reflect about my own podcast because you don't do yourself and then celebrating another podcast as well that is doing something amazing. So yeah, congrats guys on like you know doing it. No shame from thanks to your mom, Niels. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for doing it and sharing the word. That's very important. And also, Cecile, like, congratulations on what you're doing. A big, it's amazing as well. Uh, as, uh, More like than a, 21. Yes. Like, to be honest, if, you, if six months ago someone asked me, if you approached me six months ago and says, do what I come on my podcast and talk, I'd have been like, oh, nah. Hmm. But again, yeah. through my own journey, I'd be like, I any worries because it does take get involved in things to take your mind out the box and outside just your own little bubble to go, right. Come on, this is this is a serious topic here. Um, so well done, brilliant. If you know any? Thank you. If you know any Aussie blokes that you can send my way, because Neil, we were um, I got introduced to you because Camilla thought that he would be great on the show, and then somehow I was like, so he's Aussie. He was like, she's like, oh no, he's not. I was like, oh no. You, you a good, a good Aussie accent, can't you, Neil? 
Yeah, I, hey, Gallon. All right. Not too bad. <laughs> Neil's got like That's 40, a shabby, mate. 40, 40 accents and they all sound from the same country. <laughs> yeah, it's the same as Sue. Anytime Sue does an accent, she just sounds like she's from India. I'm like, <laughs> she's that same accent over and over. Um, oh, oh. Yeah, well, uh, thanks very much, uh, Sue, and we'll be sure to... Again, I'll, sh- I'll share it to any of people I know, uh, lads I know as well, to, for the podcast-wise, but in terms of getting the message out there, it's mostly female listeners, you said, so that I'll share that out there as well. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Amazing. See you. Have a great See weekend. You Bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media channels, including Instagram and Twitter, at These Lads Are Mental. And if you do have a topic or a guest or subject that you want us to talk about, please do get in touch and send in your suggestions. Thanks for joining us on today's show. As mentioned at the beginning, if you are struggling with mental health, please do seek further assistance. Here's who you can get support from. Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Fitzier, and the Black Dog Institute.